I hope that's our prayer, that God's church is built for His glory. It's great to be part of a church that uh, those here want to grow and change to be more like our Savior. Those who are 4 to 12 years old, you can go to junior choir at this time. And the rest of us are going to James uh, 4. I don't know if you feel like this, but my one of my kids this week made this comment. We're dad. Our culture is pretty much skipping Thanksgiving. And that is true. I mean, how much farther up can Black Friday, Black Thursday now, right, starts? So that 6 o'clock and um, some stores open at 6 on Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is getting eclipsed. Uh, and uh, in Massachusetts, that should not happen, right? Uh, but it is. And uh, all around our country, we are a very secular country living for the here and now, what is temporary, and what is eternal is not important. And in God's church, that should never happen, ever. We should never skip Thanksgiving. We can never skip Christmas or Easter. We can definitely skip Halloween and other nearly worthless holidays. But giving of thanks is a biblical uh, theme and Christ and his birth, a tremendously biblical theme, and Christ and his death at Easter, a perfectly central biblical theme. And so I hope that you don't skip Thanksgiving and make plans on Thanksgiving of how you're going to get ahead of the crowds. Uh, but take time uh, to rest and take time to reflect. And we can't think about Thanksgiving in our country without being tremendously grateful for those who have gone before us. If you uh, have ever been to Plymouth, Massachusetts, I'd encourage you to go there. And if you do go there, uh, go to the National Monument to Our Forefathers. You can Google it. Uh, an 82 feet tall uh, statue that was placed over 100 years ago uh, so that we wouldn't forget where freedom comes from. And it comes from God and it comes from His Word which is why most of us have, in our, our, uh, our uh, Massachusetts uh, progressive um, culture uh, wants to forget about this wonderful national monument. Now, let me encourage you to, to look that up, and if you ever have the inkling to go on Thanksgiving to Plymouth, or uh, there is a Bible open in the Mayflower too, um, and the characters in person or in, in character if you walk through uh, the Plymouth Plantation and ask them how important the Bible was to the beginning uh, of that settlement and how important worship was. Uh, they have a room and they'll say it was for meeting. Uh, what did they meet here? Oh, they met here for church. <laughs> okay, so yeah, they met here for church and to worship. Yeah, that was very important. And freedom for worship is 
what caused them to risk everything to come here. And we can forget that. And uh, we shouldn't, though. And so learn from history and uh, learn the mistakes and uh, be challenged to uh, follow Christ. James 4 is where we're at today. And you say there's only two verses. So we should be done soon. Well, there's a couple problems with being done soon. Is that junior church would be frustrated to some degree, and nursery would be thrilled uh, if I got done soon. But if this is your only service to come here, uh, I'm, I'm looking at my responsibility as a shepherd is to lead you to green pastures and to show you God's word and to feed you God's word. And if I just gave you a few thoughts to think about, and in five, ten minutes we were done, you'd say, that wasn't a meal. That was a snack at best, maybe a few chips, and that's it. And you can't sustain yourself on snacks. You have to have meals. And the purpose of our Sunday morning worship is to give you God's Word in a way that you, kind of like the samples at the grocery store or at Sam's Club, and those people give you samples so that you'll buy the product and take it home and cook it and have a meal out of it. it it's not so that you'll pull up a chair at the grocery store and just say, keep them coming, lady, <laughs> and just keep eating the samples. So this Sunday morning worship, and every time we meet, Sunday school is like this too. Tonight will be like this as we look at Daniel 5. Wednesday night is like this as we pray and study God's Word. It's a sample for you to take home and say, I want more of that. And I want to preach in a way that I encourage you to be confident when you read your Bible, you can understand it. I purposely don't use a lot of Greek or Hebrew. I know a, a little bit of each, enough to be dangerous probably. Um, but that doesn't help you because uh, most uh, people don't know Greek and Hebrew, even though that's the original languages. But you can understand your English Bible. You can be confident to interpret it correctly and apply it powerfully, and I want you to do that on a daily basis. So our worship together is to help us to focus on God's Word and for you to leave thinking, wow, God's Word is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is convicting. And I can't tell you how many comments I've had since we started the book of James of how convicting this book is. And that's how all of God's Word uh, can be when read carefully, slowly, thoughtfully, and applied uh, intentionally to our lives. So let's look at James 4. And we could go back to James 4, and I may do this uh, in another message, but look at how many things James has expected us to do and what we've learned up to this point. And we'll probably definitely do that at the end of the book to get a summary uh, of the whole book, and we'll probably read the whole book in one uh, message. Uh, but for today, we're going to just focus on James 4. We read James 4, 1 to 12. I'm going to tell you how verses 11 and 12, how I came up with this, um, this uh, title, it has something to do, it's in the same context of conflict, and where do we get conflict from? Verse 1 of James, for what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. So the conflict around us is caused by the conflict within us. We are the problem of conflicts around us. We add to it, and God's grace is the solution. So if you think of conflict like a fire, God's grace is like the water or the fire extinguisher. 
And I told my kids, we have a fire extinguisher in our basement of our house, and I said, you know what, if we have an electrical fire, don't throw water on it. It's not gonna do anything. It might make it worse. I don't know exactly what happens. I haven't tried it, and I haven't watched a YouTube video on it, but I know a fire extinguisher is meant to put out all kinds of fire. So there is God's grace, and God's grace is meant to put out all kinds of conflict, and it claims to be so. So there is no excuse that we have to continue conflict, especially with other believers. And there's no reason why we can't live in peace and unity with those around us. But James is going to tell us the reason we have conflict is we have conflict in here. And it just shows up here and with our hands and it just continues and we add to it. But God gives more grace. And when we get close to God, God shows us his grace is, is what we need. We just uh, heard uh, Hannah play a grace medley. And if you watch the words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, I once was blind. What were we blind to? We were blind to our sin. We were blind to the cause of our sin. And James here, as new believers and as believers who have tried to walk with the Lord for years, James is writing to us and saying, sometimes we just are blind to our sin. An amazing grace from God opens our eyes to see, it's my fault. Yes, it is. And it's very humbling to say, my conflict around me is my fault. And we won't say, but they... But if she, if he, no, no, just worry about yourself. And our conflict around us is because of our conflict within us. It's our fault. You just worry about yourself. And I can't tell you how many times I've said that as a parent. And I can't tell you how many times I heard that as a kid from my parents. You just worry about yourself, John. You've got enough issues. And I did. And I do. And so that's where we're going to find ourselves today, that we have to humble ourselves and uh, fully humble ourselves. And when we do, our God will raise us up. Look at verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't try to exalt yourself above other people. Exalt means to lift yourself up. Okay? We live in a culture of self-esteem which you need to think highly of yourself. And the Bible never commands us to think or to love ourselves or to think highly of ourselves. It says, you think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think. Think soberly. Think humbly. Think like Christ. So the conflict will continue even after I've gone through verses 6 to 10 where I realize I'm, getting, I'm not getting God's grace in dealing with this conflict. I humble myself, I submit to God, I resist temptation and, and Satan, I draw near to God, he draws near to me, I cleanse my hands in, in a confession. Any outward thing that I've done, I confess it to God. Inwardly, I purify my heart, I don't want to serve God and the world, I don't want to love God and the world, I want to love God completely, I don't want to make excuses for my sin, I want to be wretched and miserable and I want to mourn and weep. I want my laughter to be turned to mourning and my joy to gloom. That's what submission to God looks like. That's what true humility and repentance looks like. And then I humble myself before the Lord and he will exalt me. 
after I do all of that and I get this grace, I still am going to struggle. And that's why James has 11 and 12. This is how in the context it fits that after we get up off of our knees, after we have prayed, fully repented and think, okay, now I'm right with God. Now I'm in a position to, verse 11, to speak evil against one another, and I will judge my brother, and I really am not thinking that I'm speaking evil against the law and judging the law, but if I'm a judge, uh, if I judge the law, I'm not a doer of the law, but a judge. And I'm forgetting that there is one lawgiver and judge, and I'm not him, who is able to both save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor. So here is God's solution. I'm going to review just what we looked at in James 4. God's help, that's God's grace. God's grace and help are synonyms. God's help reveals that conflict is our fault. If you don't agree with that, you're not ever going to get God's grace, or you're not going to experience a wonderful peace that comes after I say to my to my God, God, this conflict around me is caused by me. So God's help comes after my conflict. I agree with God that the conflict is my fault. It doesn't matter what percentage is my fault and what other people, it does not matter. And you can argue that, you can try to put a percentage on it, that's not helpful, and I'm not going to encourage you to think that way, and I try not to think that way either. Verses 6 to 9 of James 4, God's help extends to us individually as we fully repent of our sin. And full repentance is shown here in practical, uh, specific terms of verses 6 to 9. We looked at that last week, so this is just review. And then God's help lifts us up only after our full repentance. If we haven't fully repented, we, we aren't going to... You say, how do I know if I fully repented? Well, we're going to get some... Uh, if you're still struggling like verses 11 and 12, you haven't fully repented. You need to go back and learn it again. If, you're not, if you think you're better than someone else, eh, you haven't learned 6 to 9. Go back and learn it again. If you want to judge your brother and speak evil of them, nope, go back and review. You're not fully repentant because if they were, James would have been done there. And said, okay, now you guys got it. And even after I have fully repented, I can easily slip back into, verses 11 and 12, judgment mode. Okay? So it's not like I have fully repented, I've got this conflict thing figured out, it's my fault, I've, I've got God's grace, and now I'm moving on. No, we need to keep reviewing verses uh, 6 to 9. And if you don't agree that you need God's grace, one to five again, and you just keep going and reviewing. And I can't tell you how many times this passage has come up um, for me individually and for uh, those that I've tried to help through relational conflict and uh, so helpful of a passage. So this is a helpful uh, way to think, and God's help there is God's grace. God's grace lifts us up only after our full repentance. And notice what doesn't happen here in verse 10. It doesn't say, humble yourselves before the Lord, and then you can lift yourself up. It says, he will exalt you. So when I fully repent, I expect God to work in me, through me, 
and then I expect God to change the circumstances around me. You read all the imprecatory Psalms, that's praying against your enemy in the Old Testament, and you'll find that David and others are crying out for God to judge the people around him, putting people in God's hands. And if you can't get along with someone and they are not thinking at all like James 4, you're still expected to. And if you say, I can never get along with this person, okay, you make sure it's not your fault. Uh, and if you haven't ever fully repented, then it is your fault. <laughs> and part of it's your fault. You have to go back to James 4, 1 to, to 9. And if you're not expecting God to lift you up, you're trying to do things on your own, you'll find yourself really convicted by verses 11 and 12. Okay, so... When full repentance doesn't happen, we try to short circuit, we try to make it quick and easy, and we just get done in, in a couple minutes, okay, I've fully repented of all my sin and all this conflict, then we will find ourselves back uh, in need of God's grace. We're not getting it. We think we deserve it. Uh, other fallacies that we think, but verse 11 tells us here, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. So, my solution is better than God's. I just say that out loud to yourself. My solution to my conflict is better than God's. My solution's better than God's? <laughs> my solution is not ever better than God's. But in our pride, we think it is. We all think our solution is better than God's. And that's why we have verses 11 and 12. Your solution to your conflict is not better than God's grace. As our young people may be coming back in, we're in James 4, verse 11. Okay, so James 4, verse 11. I'll give you guys time to find that in your Bibles. James 4, verse 11 and 12 tells us that our solution to conflict is not better than God's. God's solution is, is in verses 1 to 10. I gave you the outline there summarizing it. We need God's help. We need God's help. We need God's help. If we think at all that I can deal with conflict without God's help, we're going to find ourselves like verses 11 and 12. Okay, So we're in James 4. Verses 11 and 12. We're really thankful you guys are practicing singing. We're excited to hear you sing. All right, James 4, verses 11 and 12. So our title, for those of you that just came in, is My Solution is Better Than God's. And that is never, never the case. We heard in Sunday school that most of us men... I'm adding this to Sunday school. John didn't actually say these words, but this is me. I think I can put things together without instructions. How many of you men think that at times? Like instructions are for those who don't know how to put stuff together, right? So I know how to put, and you were not there when it was created. This wasn't your idea in your workshop, and you submitted it to somewhere, and they they made it, and then they sent you all the components, and you know how... To... No, you don't. 
you're opening up, you're like, there should be screws. Where are the screws? And and at which screws do I use? And and we think only instructions, here's what I think. Instructions are only necessary if at first you fail, right? So you try without them because if you can do it without them, it shows, yes, I do know how to put stuff together. And the more complicated things are, we were at a Lego store last night. There are some Lego things that are 10,000 pieces or 5,000 pieces and uh, expert Lego builders will uh, are required to put certain uh, Lego sets together. And even with that, I'd be tempted to say, eh, I think I still want to try it first. I want to try it. And I'm a royal mess and it may take me three times as long. But there's just something about the pride in me that says, I want to try it without instruction. And I don't think it's just men. This is human nature that we want to try conflict resolution without God. We want to try life without God. You say, that's not me. Okay, so how much time did you spend in Bible reading and prayer this week? Did you spend more time eating physical food than spiritual food? Did you recognize that you will fail without God one of the first thoughts of your day? I try not to get out of bed without at least 30 seconds or so of, of recognizing, God, this is your day, and I am your servant. Help me to obey you, walk with you today. Without your help, I'm going to fail. Something like that at the very beginning of the day. If we don't think we need God... We don't need the instructions. We don't need his word and his grace. We don't need prayer. We will live and will look like verses 11 and 12. My solution's better. I've got a better solution to relational conflict. All right, here's my solution. <laughs> Here, let me summarize verses 11 and 12 for you. I'm going to exalt myself above others. Okay? So when I have a problem with you, here's how I'm going to think. You're wrong, I'm right. And if you would agree with me that you're wrong and I'm right, conflict resolved. Right? Isn't this how we think as, as uh, spouses, right? If my wife would just agree with me on everything, we wouldn't have any conflict. Because I'm right and she's not right. And it's like the girl that's looking for to marry Mr. Wright, and she didn't realize his middle name was always. And you may have been in a committee with someone who was always right. And you try to say, well, that's, that's not right. And we have leadership meetings here at church. You may have uh, workers' meetings, and you may have meetings at your job. And you can probably, in five, ten minutes of a meeting, if it's an open discussion, kind of peg people and say, they seem like the always right kind of person. And if you are an always right kind of person, you may think conflict is other people's fault because I'm always right. And if our group fails, it's not my fault. 
because I'm elevating myself above everyone else. And if those people would have just done better, if she would have done that, if he would have said that, this project wouldn't have failed. We can do this as parents. Honey, your kids are misbehaving. Oh, my kids are angels. Your kids misbehave. What? No. We're together. We're a team. We succeed and fail together, husband and wife. But if I think conflict is other people's fault, I'm going to find myself here. And God's grace does not lead us here. It's our flesh and our selfishness that ends us in verses 11 and 12. And God says to us through James, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil or speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. The word speak evil is the same word uh, slander you may have uh, three times here to speak evil. How do I know if, if something is evil? Here's a, here's a rule of thumb that I try to follow. Would you want someone else to say it about you? Say no. Now, if I am walking with the Lord and it's a rebuke that's necessary, or my wife says to me, honey, it looks like this job is too important. You're getting a little too edgy here, a little too selfish, a little too angry. I think we need to take a break. I would want her to say that to me. So that's not speaking evil. She's confronting me. And if I'm wise, Proverbs says, I will appreciate a rebuke. But if I'm a fool, I'm not going to listen to anything. I'm just going to do my own thing. Okay, but here's, here's how we have to think. If, it's, if I wouldn't want someone to talk this way or that way about me, then it's probably evil. If you would want someone to say this or that about you, then it's probably not evil. And the Holy Spirit will help you almost immediately. As, you, as we talk a lot, and sometimes we have, I'm, I'm a pastor, I have to talk about people sometimes. And I have to talk about solutions of how to help people, and who's going to help people. If it's not me, if it's not someone else I know, who, who can help this person to grow and change if it's not, if it's not my responsibility? And I have to, I have, uh, I have to talk about people uh, many times. But I'm not speaking evil, and I'm not trying to gossip and not trying to slander someone and say, that person is an evil person. They should be avoided. That sounds like junior high, upper elementary school, high school. It sounds like very ungodly adults sitting around at a lunch table, and it uh, shouldn't be happening. You see that boss? Oh, can't stand him. Can't stand her. Okay, that's evil. We know it. We can recognize it in other people. We just need to, by God's grace, recognize it in us. If we won't deal with God, don't realize we need God's grace in dealing with conflict, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to exalt myself over others. So here is my fantasy. And many of us live in the fantasy world. I mean, it's okay to watch a fantasy movie. But if my girls say, I'm Elsa, I'm Anna, and they dance around for years, and when they're 20 and 22, they're like, I've got superpowers, and I'm going to freeze you. And uh, No, you're not going to freeze. And they're still living that way in a fantasy where I'm going to say, girls, you know what? That's not real. <gasps> no, Dad, it is. Okay, you, you can argue all about 
what is fantasy and what is reality. But we often, this is how kids play. They make up things that are fantasy. You know what adults do sometimes when they don't like conflict? They make up a fantasy world. And they're in their fantasy world, here's what happens. They are the top. There's no one above them. They are the king. They are the queen. They are the emperor. They are whoever. And you watch how kids play. They all want to be whoever was the top, whoever was the good guy. Now, occasionally kids want to be the bad guy, Darth Vader, etc. But we want to exalt ourselves over others. This doesn't go away as kids grow into being adults. But when it comes to conflict, here's my fantasy that James is going to address. My fantasy is I can resolve my conflict by my authority over others. As a parent, I can lay on the couch and yell at my kids and tell them, you have to submit to me. Bring me my coffee. And I can act like a king. And when they get 18 and they get out of my house, they're going to say, I did not really appreciate my dad yelling at me, telling me to submit, and telling me I had to bring him everything. So I can resolve conflict as a parent merely by commanding people. And some, to some degree, I can do that as a pastor. But you won't want to follow my leadership if I just command you to do things. I'm going to encourage you that you need God's grace, and I need God's grace. I'm going to encourage my kids. You know why you have conflict with each other? You need God's grace. Here's how you get it. You humble yourself. Don't try to get your own way all the time. You need to deny yourself. You really want something. I know you do. It's obvious. And your siblings know that you really want something. But you have to learn to say no to yourself. This is the first step of following Christ, isn't it? To learn to deny yourself. If we won't follow Christ, we're left with conflict resolution the world style. The world style is climb the corporate ladder so you can step on everyone underneath you. And put yourself in a position where you can make the rules and you can judge people who don't obey your rules. But that's a fantasy world because we we can't create a perfect enough environment and dictators have tried and they're trying to this day. Governments are trying to suppress their people in communism, socialism, and it's not working. People are trying to flee those countries, and they put fences to keep their people in. Why? Because conflict can be resolved from the top down. And we think this way. As we have conflict with others, and without God's grace, we will speak evil against one another. And what does he say in verse 11? Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. When he uses the word brothers, he's speaking specifically to Christians with other Christians. So you have conflicts with other believers. Here's what you should not be doing, speaking evil against them. If you do, you're living in a fantasy world. And your fantasy is, I can resolve my conflict without God's grace by just by my authority over others. Okay, let's keep reading to get some of God's truth that con, um, contradicts this fantasy. Verse 11 continues. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law 
and judges the law. Hold your hand here and go back to James 1, verse 25, and you'll see there is a law. We are to individually look into the law of liberty, into the perfect law, and persevere at looking at God's word and evaluating ourselves and leaving, doing something about it. So based on what James has said in James 1, this law, it's a perfect law. Why? Because it's given by a perfect God. There's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. There's nothing wrong with God's commands in the Bible. But our culture says we don't need some of God's laws. And we're saying, no, we, we, do, we do need God's laws. And it's a perfect law given by a perfect God. And it's also caught in verse 25 of James 1, the law of liberty. If we will obey God's word, we will be free. Free from ourselves, free from condemnation, free from guilt. But if I live in this fantasy world of James 4, and I won't resolve conflict God's way, I won't humble myself, or even after I've humbled myself, I think now I'm in a position where I can judge and speak evil against others. No, we're not ever in that position. So back to James 4, when I do that, here's God's truth. Slander, which is speaking evil, and judging others breaks God's law. That's so simple. And this, this text isn't really hard to understand. When I speak evil and judge others, I'm not really looking at obeying God's law. I'm more concerned with others instead of myself. And you may have heard the expression, the pot calling the kettle black. Okay, that is, you're in obvious need of change and growth, and you can see everyone else's minute weaknesses, and you can't see your big glaring weaknesses. God's truth is when how I speak and judge others, even if it's internal, even if it's private, even if I never voice this, but when I see this person, that person, that person, who I have a conflict with, and I think in my heart, they're an evil person. They should be avoided. I have no responsibility to talk to them. I do not have to pursue peace with them. I am not obeying God's law. I am justified in causing other people to avoid them as well. I'm slandering them. I'm judging them. I'm breaking God's law. So see how this truth obliterates my fantasy. I cannot resolve my conflict by increasing my authority over other people. That's God's truth. Now, what is my responsibility? Look at verse, end of verse uh, 11. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. My responsibility during conflict, just obey God's law. Just obey it with God's help. That's his grace in verse 6. You know why Judge Judy is very popular? Because we can see ourselves in her shoes. We would love to sit with all this education, all the knowledge of the law, and have a gavel and a very cool personality. We can see people in front of us, and if you ever watch that show or a show like it, you're like, she's going to rip them up. It's going to be great. And that's what makes good TV. But you know why we want to be her? Because we want authority over people. 
We want to just shut people up that are arguing. Okay, this is it. Slam the gavel, court uh, case dismissed. You're like, yeah, love that. It's great. And in my conflict with other people, you may or may not want to be in front of Judge Judy because she may expose you. Here's what God's word does for us. Perfectly exposes why we have conflict, the solution to conflict. And if you don't like God's solution, try it yourself. And if you try it yourself, you're going to break God's law and put yourself above God. And when you put yourself above God, you're going to look down on people and say, you're not obeying God. You are really a bad person. And you're speaking evil against not just people. You're speaking evil against God's law and judging God's law. But if you judge the law, if you're just concerned about what other people are doing and not doing, you're forgetting your primary responsibility is to obey the law. Here's how I parent. My primary responsibility is to obey God. When I'm obeying God, I'm on solid ground to help my children to obey God. I have to be more concerned about my personal walk with the Lord than I do about my kids and their conflict with each other, their conflict, whatever else they have uh, issues. And all of us have issues and struggle. But my primary responsibility, even with my wife, is to not make sure she stays in line and she submits to me. My primary responsibility is to obey God and love her as Christ loved the church. That is very difficult to do because I want other people to obey God while I eh, somewhat obey him. So I am a submissive to God person constantly. This is how we walk with the Lord, submitting to God. And if you're not getting God's grace, it's because you're not submitting to God. You're not resisting the devil. You're giving in to your flesh, you're giving in to temptation, and you're, the conflict's increasing, and you're trying to do things without God's help, and you're struggling until you realize conflict is my responsibility. It's my fault. So here's the first thought of verse 11. I will exalt myself over others. Second thought, verse uh, 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? There is only one lawgiver. If you give the law, you in enforce the law. Now, there is a, a separation of powers in our country, and we appreciate that separation. Congress makes the law. The judges interpret the law. The police enforce the law. We have a separation because one person should not be doing all this, and a dictator does that. A king does this. We appreciate the separation of authority in our culture. However, that's not how God's kingdom operates. There is one lawgiver, one judge, one sovereign, one authority, and pleasing him has to be our one goal. So how do we get to exalting ourselves over others? It's, it's pretty simple. We forget God. 
How easy is it to forget God? Well, just wake up and don't pray or read your Bible for one day, and I bet you for most of that day, you'll forget God. We just live like there's not a God. Or I don't need him. I don't need his grace. And conflict shows you something's wrong. I don't know what to do. Or, or obvious, whatever we obviously speak evil against others. We know, man, I really struggle with bitterness and anger, this selfish ambition. I'm really lacking God's wisdom at the end of James 3. And when those are obvious to us and others, and someone says, you are not pleasant to be around, the solution is grace. We need God's help. We're not getting it. Why aren't we getting it? Because we've exalted ourselves above others, thinking my solution to conflict's better than God's. And when I stay up above other people long enough, I really fool myself to think, I don't need God, really. This is not overcome with our salvation, although salvation does break the power of me forgetting God and gives me no excuses for forgetting God after this. However, James is going to challenge us and says, you guys that are exalting yourself above others, you're speaking evil and judging other people, you're speaking evil against God's law. It's perfect. It's a law of liberty. You guys are not in a position to do this. And if you think you are, you're forgetting God, who is the one lawgiver and the judge. And Jesus, when he was on earth, I believe is in John chapter 5, says he is the judge. The Father has given all authority to judge the earth into the hands of Christ. And we all as Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians 3. If you have forgotten God, you have forgotten that you will stand before him in judgment. So get back to those kind of thoughts. Biblical thinking helps us to get off of our high, exalted, self-made throne. Off of the bench where we've got the gavel, we've got the black robe, we've got the personality, we've got the knowledge, and everybody else that's got conflict with me stands in front of me, and I'm just going to show them how it is, and I'm going to tell them what to do, and then they can leave my presence. No, that's not where we want to be. So we forget God. He is the one lawgiver. He is the judge. God's role in our conflict is lawgiver and judge. So I go, when I have conflict, I go back to God's word and his law. And what does he tell me to do? He tells me to humble myself. He tells me that conflict is my fault. That's just in this passage, let alone other passages that tell us other ways to humble ourselves and other ways to uh, love um, our neighbor as ourself, and even love our enemies. And God's word shows us how to do that. So God's role in our conflict is a reminder. He is the one lawgiver. He is the one judge. What does the lawgiver and the judge do? Look at the middle of verse 12. He who is able to save and to destroy. So when you stand before a judge, if one person is guilty and the other person is innocent, you want a judge to get all the facts. You want a judge to say, this is the law. You have broken the law. You have kept the law. You've been sinned against. So you deserve money. You deserve whatever. And they carry out the law and they pound their gavel and say, okay, case dismissed. This is what has to happen. And now it, they have interpreted the law to know what is the next step. 
When we stand before Jesus Christ, he is able to save and to destroy. We want that position. That's why we continue conflict. We want to decide who is worthy to be saved and who should be destroyed. We want to say, no, you get the toys. No, you get nothing. We all, and from kids on, as we grow up, we all want to have this authority over other people where we can promote people and fire people. But God doesn't give us that authority in the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't give that authority in the church to me. I'm not the lawgiver. I'm not the judge. God's role in our conflict is lawgiver and judge. And if you come to me with conflict, I'm going to say, what does God's word say? And if you don't want to obey God's word, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and he's going to reveal even the secret things of your heart. And we're going to evaluate, and I'm going to expect the Holy Spirit, as you walk out of my office in conflict resolution, that you need to learn to submit to God's word and God's spirit. Because I'm not the Holy Spirit. And every Sunday you hear God's word preached, we think, well, that was a good message for so-and-so. I hope they were paying attention. You just have broken James 4, 11, and 12. Man, I'm going to get that on tape and give it to them and hope they repeat that in their car over and over and over again. No, we've, we've forgotten. We are not the lawgiver and the judge. We aren't the convictor the judge, jury, and executioner, you've heard it said. So God's role in our conflict is to save and destroy. We want to expose people to God's word, and they come to the realization that their conflict, their side of the conflict, is their fault too. Okay, This isn't one-sided. Almost all conflict is multifaceted, very complicated. And if everyone would just say, this conflict was my fault, this conflict is my fault. And even if they don't say that, I'm going to say my side of the conflict was my fault. I made it hard for them to do what's right because I wasn't godly. I wasn't humble. I was proud. And I said this, I did this, whatever it was that needs to be confessed to the person and to God. God's role in our conflict is to save and destroy. And you'll read throughout the Psalms, godly people put ungodly people in God's hands and don't take matters into their own. So that's why Jesus says, don't take revenge. Paul says in Romans 12, love your enemies, uh, don't take vengeance. Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. It's not your job to take vengeance on people. It's not your job to speak evil against someone and judge them and say, this is what they really need. And many times, godly Christians will say the best solution is me to avoid that person. Because that's what godly people... No, godly people don't do that. Someone is not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. And so what is God's role here is lawgiver and judge. Our role, or God's role in our conflict is to save and destroy. And God's role in our conflict is to put us back in a submissive role. That's it. So this is how James does it. He asks a question at the end of verse 12. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Where did you get your gavel? Where'd you get your black robe? Where'd you get the bench that you're sitting on? It's all self-made. 
You came up with this bench in your mind of your own creation. You sat in your workshop, meditated on someone else's sin against you day and night, and you came up with a gavel. You custom-made your black robe to fit you, and now you are in a position to judge other people. And God says, you didn't, you didn't write the word. You didn't write the law. Nor are you ever given the authority to sit in judgment over other people and to speak evil against them. So God's role in our conflict is to put us back in a submissive role. And that's what James does with that final question. So how do we get off the bench? How do we lay down the gavel, put the black robe, and donate it to goodwill or burn it? Say, this is trash. I never want to put on this black robe again. Never want to pick up the gavel. Never want to, I'm going to dismantle my self-made exalted position. I'm getting rid of it once and for all. James has convinced me this is displeasing to God. There's a couple thoughts here. One, based on the context of James 4, when was the last time you were weeping over your sin against someone? You may say that I'm, I'm not proud. It's not my fault that this conflict continues. But according to James 4, 9, if you weren't wretched and miserable, weeping, mourning, no room for laughter, no room for joy, and you were intentionally crushed over your own sin, if you haven't been there, there's, it's a high, high likelihood that you're going to find yourself disobeying verses 11 and 12. You haven't fully gotten rid of the gavel, the robe, and the bench. Never to pick it up again. Never to put it on again. Never to sit there again. So keep weeping over your sin. Every time we have conflict, you identify your part of it, you confess it fully to God. You, fall, you look at James 4, 6 to 9 again and again and again. I would encourage you to memorize it. Meditate on it day and night. And ask God the Holy Spirit, show me how I'm not doing this. Show me how I'm falling short of the glory of God because the glory of God comes after verses 6 to 9, not before. And the exaltation that we all want without the humiliation is, is a fantasy. It's not reality. We have to weep over our sin and be crushed by it. And whenever I allow God the Holy Spirit to fully crush me, I am not concerned what other people are doing in the conflict. I'm concerned about what I have done in the conflict. Second question. When was the last time you tried to do God's job of law-giving or judge? What's that look like? Speaking evil against your brother and judging them. Even if it's just in your heart. Man, did you see oh, did you see that look that they gave me? You evaluate everyone else's motives and you would never want someone to do that to you. But we do it constantly with other people. Why? Because we are proud. We are not humble. We're not thinking about others more than ourselves. We're not treating others like we want to be treated. And we're disobeying God's law. We disobey God's law. We're not the lawgiver. We're not the judge, but we think we are. We do this a lot. 
I try to. I used to do this more. I still do this now. I still struggle with it. I look at other people's ministry, other pastors, other worship leaders, and say they shouldn't be singing like that. They shouldn't be preaching like that. They've got bad motives. There's an entertainment-driven church. You know what? Whether they are or not, that's not up to me to, to decide. My responsibility is lies right here. And if you come to church and say, you're my pastor, I'm, I'm going to take responsibility for you to help shepherd you to grow in grace and knowledge of God. That's my responsibility. And I, that's enough. And um, to worry about myself, my wife, my family, and our church, um, that's what I'm going to be consumed with. And finally, with God's help, what needs to change right now in your thinking, in your speaking, or in your actions? If you have a pen and paper, I'd encourage you to write something down right now. If you don't, type it in your phone in a note. Now, what do you want to do to remember something? You're like, oh, I've got to remember that appointment at 8 o'clock on Tuesday. So you write it down so you don't forget it. This is important enough to write down so you don't forget it. Put it tomorrow at 8 a.m. Whenever you're going to wake up, put it as your first thought. God, God convicted me about this or this. And you're going to remind yourself. Put a daily reminder. We have technology. We have no excuse for forgetting things. And we'll remember what's important to us. So as we silently pray, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to meditate on what was you just heard from James 4, 11 and 12. And it, in that time, I'll give you enough time to, to write something down that needs to change in your thinking, how you think about others, how you speak about others, or what you need to do to confess sin. Uh, right now, I'll give you 30 seconds of silent prayer, and I'll close our uh, message uh, in prayer. Father, thank you so much for showing the light of your word and how we live, how we interact with others, how we judge others and speak evil against them. I pray that you would take the word that we heard this morning and read. I pray that you would impress on our hearts how we fall short of this, how we need your grace, and uh, what we need to change. I pray for those who can't think of anything right now, that you would challenge them to read your word every day this week, that they would be crushed by their sin, that you'd show them your glory and your perfection and show them how far they fall short of that glory. I pray for those here today who don't know you yet, 
that they're aliens from you and dead in trespasses and sin, that you'd make them alive, that you'd convince them they need your grace, that they have conflict and will continue to have conflict because they don't have you. I pray for those today here that want to follow you, want to obey you, want to be free from sin, do not want to disobey your word. I pray that your spirit would continually convict as we do fall back into sin and speak evil and judge and help us to quickly confess and forsake, uh, knowing that we will have mercy from you as we struggle with this uh, sin, that you would uh, help us just to walk uh, like Christ, think like Christ, talk like Christ, and convict us when we are not. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.